It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. But, you know, still, he's yakless. Oh. He's the yakless wonder. He is. My God. Good job, Zach Ertz, baby. Love it. Ertzy, babe. Ertzy, babe. Whether it's the fight in Bills, the birds, the fly guys, the process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. God damn it, I love Chase Sutton. And John Mita. Terry Williams, do me a favor. For one week, can I not talk about you? It is the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we are inching closer to Super Bowl 52 in Minneapolis, the Eagles and the Patriots. Joe O'Donnell here, John Mita in the city of Brotherly Love. Johnny Meets, what's up, brother? How ready are you? Every day. It's just, <laughs> you, this this two-week rest, man, is, you kind of like it because you get the players to get rested. It gives them another week to game plan for this game. Because let, let's face it, during the week of you know the, the, the spectacle, on the the atmosphere of the Super Bowl, you know, you pretty much have to have your entire game plan installed before then because there's so many uh, distractions from you had media night last night that the players took place in and you have all these, you know, they're doing interviews all week and everything is going back and forth and you just, that is a huge week for them to get focused. But as a fan, you're like, oh my God, I just want this game to happen. I can't wait for this to happen. Pretty much the city's fired up. Right now, the fan base is very confident here. They feel like this team right now, you know, has the goods to finish the deal here, and which is great because in years past, you know, you're going up in 2004. I can remember when the Eagles were playing the the Patriots, and you're kind of like, well, I think our team's good enough to win, but I don't know if we are going to win. And I think right now, I think the way things are rolling, and there's just the mystique of, of this team. I think people are pretty confident that the Eagles are going to have a, a, a great shot to uh, shock the world once again. You know, this will be the third time they're an underdog, and they really have embraced that role. And, uh, hey, if that's what's working. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And uh, that's the way the mindset here in Philadelphia is. All right, coming up on this very special edition of the Brotherly Love Podcast, essentially the Super Bowl edition, we're going to have a special guest, and I mean special guest, Kevin Nagandi from ESPN is going to join us. He's a Phoenixville native. He's a Temple guy. He's an unabashed Eagles fan. We are pumped to have a guy with uh, his type of resume joining us in a few minutes. We're also going to give you our Super Bowl prediction, obviously, uh, or kind of how the game plays out, our MVP prediction, and then the people's champion as well, kind of the folk hero of the game from a Philadelphia perspective. All that in store for you here in the next few minutes on the Brotherly Love Podcast. All right, John Mead, I want to kick it off, though, with this whole... Eagles fan base narrative that to me is tired. I know to you it's tired, but lately, uh, especially in the Twin Cities, Minnesota fans are all over Eagles fans. The city of Philadelphia, again, getting a bad rap in the national spotlight, and it's frustrating to you and I. We'll ask Kevin about it when he joins us here in a couple of minutes, but at this point, I'm just like uncle, right? Like, I'd rather have like Indian burns for like 16 straight hours. Name your type of torture. Because I'm just so tired of this of this storyline, this narrative about Philadelphia fans. Oh, they're just they were so mean to us. Like, move on. I don't understand why Minnesota Vikings fans are so sour. Toughen up. Here's the thing to me, John Mita. If the Vikings had won the game against the Eagles, 
it would have been way worse from the Philadelphia fan base. You had pleasant Eagles fans. You had Eagles fans that had just whooped your team's butt. And so they were pretty much in a jubil you know, it was jubilation. It was a good mood atmosphere. It was good vibes. Like if the Vikings had won that game, people might have been shanked. This was nothing. This was nothing. And Minnesota fans need thicker skin. They gotta toughen up. And and two wrongs don't make a right. Like they're treating Philadelphia fans in Minnesota like garbage this week, or they're saying they're going to. Restaurants are turning away Philadelphia fans. Eagles players. I mean, the whole thing is just so absurd. Over what? Four or five videos that have surfaced of drunk fans that you would find in every city, no matter how big or how small the fan base is? Like, are we forgetting? Like, why are we putting this in such a vacuum? Why are Eagles fans put under this microscope all the time? It's just old. It's an old storyline. It's not as true anymore. You know, it's a passionate fan base, yes, but you go anywhere anywhere and you're going to find the exact same bunch of donkeys running around that that's the way it is Philadelphia Boston New York DC LA San Fran any big city Dallas I mean college campuses what do you think's going on around the rest of the world this is not a Philadelphia only issue people curse at you people yell at you people boo you when you wear your colors in their city that's called being a fan now the language and the violence I'm not going to condone any of it but uncle with this whole, like, oh, Philly's the worst. Oh, they're just the worst. No. No. We're passionate. We're not the worst. We're just passionate. And we're a big city. And we care about our teams. And Minnesota fans feel the exact same way about their teams. They're just not as passionate. I've been up there. Okay? They're generally a nicer nicer group of people. Great. Move on. That's the world. Like, it's it's been 10 days now. And they're still whining. They're still complaining. They're not talking about how bad their football team played. And I'm just tired of hearing about it. I wonder if we said, I mean, you just pretty much said everything that's been going on. It's just so ridiculous, Joe. That, like, I've just, they are so salty. And, and granted, you know, if, if Philadelphia, you know, so I was talking to my good friend, and he said, you know, if Philadelphia was in the same position, if we were hosting the Super Bowl and we lost the game, you know, would we be that to put it's, it's not like we're, we ever turned any fans away. You know, bottom line is, you know, we're so passionate about our football team, pretty much we're always selling out our, our, our stadium all the time. And you might see a couple of the opposing fans sprinkled in there, here and there. But for the most, for the most part, we're always selling out. And it's just so ridiculous. And I'm with you. I'm tired of defending the Philadelphia fan base. Like, I, I mean, my personal story. On Facebook, these Viking fans wanted to get together and, like, let's throw bottles at Eagles fans. Like, okay, throw the bottles at the Eagles fans that, that did something to you, okay. You know, I don't condone any violence, but, you know, they don't also show, like, the good things, like, that I saw. Like, you know, there's a couple of Minnesota Vikings fans that were in one section, and, and they embraced the Vikings. They're hugging them after the game, saying, hey, good luck next year, blah, blah, blah. But it's just, it's so old. It's so tired. I, I just, you know, we're not killing anybody. Okay, we haven't thrown anybody out of the stadium yet, but it's just this narrative, and, and the media is part to blame here. They just get on it, and then they just roll it, and then it just snowballs, and now the effect of with all the social media today, and let's face it, everyone's got a video cat, okay? So you have those 100 to 200 idiots, and, and they are idiots for what they do. Like, you know, cursing at people, sobbing, like, threatening to fight. Like, that's just stupid. Joe, you and I went to New Orleans, and this is unbelievable. The two of us 
we're in the upper level. We're, we're both wearing Deshaun Jackson fans, and there's a fan behind us that is just ripping us, senseless. He's cursing at us. He's whatever. And man, you were like, hey, listen, it's the banter, okay? We kind of like it. I mean, the two of us thought it was funny. Well, then he comes down and is like, listen, my, my friends and the people around me in my section told me that I was way rough on you guys, and I would love to buy you a beer. I'm really apologize for my behavior. And we were like, listen, if this was in Philly, this would never happen. Yeah. Like, yeah, we were. I, 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 I forgot about that until you just brought it up. But you're right. We were basically like, "No, nah, dude, no need to buy it." I mean, we'll take the beer, but you don't have to. Like yeah. that's that's being yeah. a fan. That's being in somebody that's else's stadium. We get it. That's it. We knew what we were getting into. Yeah, you know, we're wearing the toes and colors. If we thought we could walk in there and everybody's going to be kissing one another, it's <laughs> like, "Hey, hey, welcome to our stadium." Yeah. You know, the Eagles fan base, the Green Legion. We pretty much. March, you know, three yeah. miles yeah. in New Orleans to get to the stadium with 5,000 people. Yeah. I mean, if that's not the most od- ostentatious entrance to a football game, I don't know what yeah. it is. And, also, and let, me say, let me add this, John Amita, and I've seen a lot on Twitter. Glenn Macnow was doing a great job. I loved it. He was posting photos from other, like, sports riots or sports incidents, and then he was he was like, this is from the Eagles. Oh, no, this is actually from a Minnesota Vikings game from three years ago. Oh no! This was from the University of Kentucky's national championship game. Oh no! Like there's a car on fire. The Philadelphia Eagle. Oh no! This is actually from the Los Angeles Dodgers NLC. So he was like posting these photos and giving you the narrative. Well, look, it must be Eagles fans after the game. The other. Oh no! Wait, this is another fan base around the country. It happens all the time. It's just Philly gets drilled for it with the black eye because of Santa Claus and snowballs like 50 years ago. Like time to move on, people. No doubt. Please, let's, let's get to the game. You know, my God. If we have to hear about, you know, bad fans. You know, I'll give you a live report from Minnesota. We'll see how we're treating. Now, I'm going to be very careful what I wear. I don't want to get food poisoning when I'm out there. I'm going to try to enjoy the game. But, I mean, it's just crazy right now. Yeah, and actually, I can't wait for the post-Super Bowl Brotherly Love podcast because not only are we going to be talking about a parade and a Super Bowl t- uh, trophy, but we're going to get your, you know, hands-on eyewitness report down in the trenches on how you were treated there in the Twin Cities. Um, I'm also, hey, I'm going with the social media master of all time, Keith Anderson. So you know our social media game is going to be off the charts with live look-ins. Hey, I'll give you a live look-in. We're going to the Playboy party. You know, so it's uh, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be an awesome experience. I can't wait. All right, let's take a quick break here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. When we come back, Kevin Nagandi from ESPN will join us. We'll Ask him about uh, the Eagles fan base, his time in Bristol at Sports Center, and uh, a few things on the big game as well, the Super Bowl coming up. Kevin Agandi from ESPN joins us next on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Welcome back in on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe O'Donnell. John Mita, and a very special guest joining us via the phone lines, ESPN's own Kevin Nagandi, the Philly boy, kind enough to join us here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes and on Twitter at Love Podcast. Kevin, thanks for your time, my friend. Always nice to talk to a fellow Birds fan uh, and a Philly guy that's made such a, a mark in this industry already. Appreciate the time. How are you? Joe, John, thank you so much. It's uh, it's been a great week um i'm really excited about uh, sunday and uh, i've always said that there's nothing better there is nothing better 
than being around Philadelphia fans and being near the city when your team, and that could be any of the teams that are in the city, when they are playing well and they're on the cusp of something big, there's n- there is nothing better. I mean, everybody, every street, everywhere you go, uh, we we go all out with our love for our, uh, our, our professional teams. Sure do. Well said. Uh, with that in mind, let me just ask you right off the hop here. How would you describe the Philly fan base? Because people in Minneapolis, side of the Super Bowl, they're not speaking too highly of the city of brotherly love in recent weeks. All right. So, you know, the videos are awful. They're disgusting. They're, um, let's just get that out of the way, uh, disappointing. And, and, and it goes into the stereotype that I think uh, nationally has been always there. And it, it falls into the trap because, you know, leading into the game, I know some Minnesota Vikings fans that were taking the trip out there, they were being, quote-unquote, warned by travel agents about, you know, the city and the environment. So, you know, this just falls into it. I, I have said this uh, on a couple of uh, interviews. Don't let 100, 150 people, you know, because I have no idea how many videos that are out there that are intoxicated, that are under the influence, that are – just idiots ruin good people in the region, in the area that are great fans. And when I was there at the link on Sunday watching that game at the NFC Championship, I didn't see one thing with my witnesses around me. I didn't see one bad thing happen in the place, outside the place. I can't talk about, you know, some of the other stuff tailgating, but I will say this. If, if you look at every single major fan base and you look at the idea of tailgating there's always going to be something ugly coming up especially when you have a late night game and you're doing all day drinking i'm not justifying it i'm not making an excuse for it i'm just saying that it falls into a certain stereotype that i've always said i've made sure i've said it for over a decade at espn on national tv that is completely false like don't put us in the group of the 1% that makes everybody look foolish. Because we've seen some bad, bad things from different fan bases, and we know that the majority of that fan base or other fan bases are good people. My thing is this. You know, in Minneapolis, there are people that are very upset with Eagles fans, and they're, they're painting this broad brush, and then they're excusing their behavior as a retaliation. Yes. Yes. To anybody that was that's that's wearing green and, and I just don't understand the justification for that. Amen. To me I just don't I don't I don't I don't get it. I, and then to even add to it, they're doing it sober. And they're doing <laughs> businesses are doing yeah. that. I don't think when you looked at, you know, the Philadelphia region and Vikings fans coming to Philadelphia where their businesses turning people away. Uh, right. The idea that that's going on and I have yet to hear one Viking fan criticize what they saw from their team right. and they're scapegoating it on the fan base. And, you know, if that's what they're choosing to do, it, it's sad. I'm sorry that they're not going to the, the championship, uh, the Super Bowl, but I don't think it's it's the fault of many hundreds of millions of good Eagles fans that are out there. Yeah, I, I, I go back to this, Kevin, and I appreciate your insight. Like your mom always told you, two wrongs don't make a right. So what are the, why are the Vikings fans crying over spilled milk? I just can't get over the fact that they can't get over what occurred at the link on the football field, and they're taking it out, like you said, on people that 
may have just been normal citizens that Sunday afternoon, just passionate fans that Sunday afternoon, that Sunday evening. So uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I let me, can, I, can I add one other yeah. thing, too? Yeah. The impact of Vikings fans in Minnesota for a Super Bowl would have been very tough for that entire tourism department. Yeah. Because no one's coming in to buy hotels because it's all you could just you could just drive in. No one's going to the restaurants consistently all week long except the national media. When you have a fan base like the Eagles in Philadelphia, we travel with the best of them. I, I would say we are a top five traveling fan base. You know, you can put the Steelers in there, you can put the Packers in there, you can put the Cowboys in there, and I'm sure you could find maybe like the Raiders, considering the Raiders in certain cities, they travel really well. The I was in Jacksonville for Super Bowl 39. I was in, I was there all week. I was at the Super Bowl. We dominated that city. It was 85 percent Philly, and we are coming to Minneapolis to spend our money. And it's, it's going to benefit the entire state, specifically Minneapolis, the city. And for this to come out, I just, it, I just find it very funny and awkward that, you know, you guys are going to be benefiting. The, the city of Minneapolis is going to be benefiting from the Eagle tourists. And then this is going to be how they're going to be treated. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you guys lost the way you lost. But I, it, some of this stuff just doesn't make sense when they're, they're looking for a scapegoat. Kevin, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I, I mean, there's really nothing that I have to add because it was just so well said, and I'm sure all the people of Philadelphia feel the exact same way. It's just been ridiculous. I'm sure you've heard the story that Chris Marigos tried to get dinner reservations, and he called three different restaurants and was unable to get reservations because he plays for the Philadelphia Eagles, which is just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and Chris wasn't even playing a game. So, <laughs> Good point, yeah. Exactly, I just, exactly. I just don't understand. And, and that's one of those head-scratching things. But if this is how they're going to use, you know, the home field advantage uh, with the Super Bowl in Minnesota, um, so be it. But they're going to lose the bottom-line money. And as a result, they are looking, uh, they are looking bad and bad nationally but you know what you know what's not going to get any coverage that <laughs> uh, the eagles behavior will get the coverage because it goes in the stereotype when you got into this business obviously you graduated from temple you know you got into broadcasting what was your ultimate primary goal did you set out to work for espn someday you know at 14 years old i had the crazy idea of uh that i wanted to be the first indian american on sports center and uh, you know at 14 when you when you uh, start dreaming, the possibilities are endless, and you think everything's attainable. You know, by the time I got to, eight, you know, when I was 18, I got to college. You know, I went to Syracuse originally and then transferred to Temple, uh, which was the best thing for me because, you know, coming back to the city and working in Market 4, my first internships with Harry Callis and, uh, you know, Whitey Ashburn in the booth with them during Phillies games. And, you know, I'm 20 years, 19, 20 years old, and you're just sitting there and you're like, wow, this, this is it. Um, I did internships at, you know, NBC 10 with Vi Sikahema and Ron Burke. And, um, you know, I, I did internships at Channel 6 with the great, uh, late great uh, Gary Papa, Scott Palmer, Phil Andrews. I internships at 610 WIP, you know, working shows for and boards for Miss Anelli and Eskin and, and Jody Mack and Glenn Mack now. When, when you go through that, you start to realize, you know, 
wait a second, I'd love to come back to Philly. And ultimately, if I could, if I could have a career in Philly uh, like Gary, uh, who, who I admired, and he was, he was a, a mentor of mine, I, I, that, was, that, that became my goal. ESPN was always there. Um, ESPN was one of those things that when you get to college, you start to realize, wait a second, there's really only 45 anchors in the entire country that get this job, and everybody thinks they could do your job. I was aware of of the odds being against me. Uh, I never never stopped dreaming about hey, w- what would it be like if I ever got the call to go to ESPN or if I get ever got the opportunity. But you know, when I was in my late twenties uh, and and I was settled in in Sarasota, Florida, I was pretty happy. Things were things were great. I was a sports director there, and I lived you know less than five minutes away from the beach and. Um, you know, I was I was covering the Bucks when they were very very good. I was with the Seminoles when Bobby was there and Spurrier was there with the uh, Gators leading into Zook and Urban Meyer. And you know, I was covering the Canes when the Canes turned things around with Butch and Coker. So, and then I was dealing with five spring training teams. That was you know when A Rod got traded. You know, to the Rangers. I mean, you know, he signed that deal with the Rangers. Then. You know, Ken Griffey Jr. got traded to the Reds. The Reds were training down in Sarasota, Florida, and I was in the middle of all that. So I was I was pretty happy. And then when I got the call uh, about trying out at ESPN, it, it was one of those, all right, yeah, let's go, let's do it. What do I got to lose? And um, I beat out six other people in my audition. That was 2006. So here we are, 12 years later. It's been an amazing ride, and uh, one that I would have never. I would have never predicted, you know, once I got a taste of the business. Kevin Agandi from ESPN joins us here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe O'Donnell and John Mita here with you. Did you have a welcome to Bristol moment at some point in your early days there around the campus, uh, seeing a celebrity, getting to work, or interview somebody that was like, whoa, uh, I made the right call here? Are you saying like when I was uh, in, during the interview process or when I was Yeah, or even there? just what? the first few days on the, on the gig where you're like, man, this is, I've made it. I can tell you a funny story, uh, Joe and John. Like, the, the, <laughs> this was pretty cool. Um, my interview, so you go up there, you do the tryout, you do the audition, and then you go, you know, you sit down with each, you know, like six to eight high-end executives for 30-minute interviews. And in the middle of one of my interviews, Chris <laughs> Berman walks in. Uh, Boomer walks in literally in the middle of the interview to talk to the executive that was interviewing me. And uh, Boomer looked over to me, and he, and he said something about my tie, and he, and he said he loved it, and it was this really nice, sharp-looking, orange-popping tie. And um, it, was, it was one of those, well, that's pretty cool. Boomer yeah. just said <laughs> hi to me. And, you know, I still have the tie. I, I, I look at it every now and then. I'm like, yeah, that, that was the tie I wore the day of the tryout. And Boomer has become a friend, and he's been a strong supporter of mine, and I'm flattered to even say that, and so th- that was that was one of those welcome to ESPN. Now, when I got in the the car car ride uh, to the airport back, I remember calling my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and she was she was in the business as well. And I I said, well, listen, if I get the job, if I don't get the job, this was all on ESPN's dime. So I got the chance to be in their studio. I got the chance to to do something inside there, and I got the chance to talk to Chris Berman. So. I looked at it that day as no matter what would have happened, it was a win because I knew that I did the best I could. And if somebody got the job over me, they must have been pretty darn good because my tryout felt pretty good. 
Oh, that's amazing that you. I was just so happy that you shed some light on what the, what that, you know, what the interview process was like because I was definitely curious about that. So that's amazing, and congratulations to you. You you've done such a super job there, John. Thank you. It it's pretty cool. Uh, and, and let me tell you, I, I know I know things have changed with the interview process at ESPN. You know, a dozen years later, but there is nothing more intimidating than when you're walking in to interview for your dream job and you meet six to eight of the best in the business executives that have Emmys all over their, you know, all over their uh, their office and, and on tables and desks, and you're sitting there and you're like, wow, this is literally my shot. Uh, I, I got one shot to make an impression here. But I very much uh, equate it to being on TV. You, you, get, you get a chance. You get a chance to to win a viewer over once. And uh, that's kind of what it was. And, and the, the biggest thing here was I never wanted to compromise. I never wanted to act like I was somebody else. And one executive who saw my uh, audition tape told me specifically that. He goes, don't change. Whatever you are now, whatever you're doing right now on camera during this audition tape, this is why we want to hire you. And uh, that stuck with me. That stuck with me for... For a long time, because, you know, I think people get this feeling that, hey, I got to be a broadcaster. Where's my broadcaster voice? And I need to give you a line like I'm, you know, Craig Kilborn or no, they don't want that. They, they just want you. There's a reason why they, they invited you up there. They, they want you to be yourself. And, and when you're yourself, that's when you're going to get the best stuff. When you're Stuart Scott and your personality is transparent, when you're Scott Van Pelt, and you're just who you are, and you're relatable. Um, the audience, I think the audience relates to that, and they feel comfortable, and, and they trust you, and then they want to tune in. That's incredible. Kevin, let's get, let's get to the crux of the game here. What, do you, what are the keys for the Eagles to bring the Lombardi Trophy down Broad Street for the first time? I think they've they got to do one thing when you look at Tom Brady on the other side. The one thing the Eagles have as an advantage in this game is they, they I think they get the – the nod on the offense and defensive line. We've seen that how athletic this defensive front is for the Eagles. And they interchange four to seven guys. The the key will be this. They have to move Brady off his spot. And that means he can't get comfortable in the pocket. And at the same time, Brady's going to make adjustments in the second half when when they move him around. And there's going to be a lot of up-tempo from the Patriots, so, so the Eagles cannot go back and forth with, you know, let's get in, you know, let's get in Vinnie Curry, let's exchange, and, and, and let's get Brandon Graham a breather, and let's keep on rotating these guys. The Patriots know that, and they're going to be ready for that. The other thing I think is that the, the, the D-backs versus these wide receivers, they, they can't bite on anything. They can't be – Tom will carve them up if they're aggressive. I mean, he will eat them alive. And they can't bite on these sluggo routes, guys. Like we've seen, um, you know, especially that we saw against a team like the Giants where you have an Eli Manning who's, who's poised and experienced and is fully aware of the, how aggressive the defense scheme is. The other thing is this. Nick has to play the same way he did in that last game, and that is be confident throwing the ball in the first quarter. When Foles is confident throwing the ball in the first quarter, and that is whether it's on the run, doing the RPOs, 
and giving the chance to throw the deep ball once or twice accurately to keep the defense honest, that gives the Eagles a chance. And in the end, it's very much a cliche, but the Eagles, Eagles must win the turnover battle. They, I mean, because if they don't, Tom will eat them alive. Belichick will eat them alive if they don't win the turnover battle. And I'll add one final thing. When the Patriots have been in trouble, we've seen that in two big games in the last year. That is, of course, last year's Super Bowl and last week, or their last game. If you're overly aggressive like the Falcons were, in that second half, and you don't know how, how to handle the lead, Tom's going to beat you. When you are super conservative like the Jaguars were in the second half, Tom's going to beat you. Tom is going to play 60 minutes. And if you look at every single Super Bowl the Patriots have been in, it's always been close, and Tom has basically done his job. And that's what's going to happen here. The Eagles cannot afford in the fourth quarter to blink. They cannot feel comfortable in no way possible, but at the same time, they cannot play outside their game. And the minute they do, the Patriots will capitalize and smoke them. And I think that's, that's what this game's going to come down to. It's going to come down to Foles playing within himself, playing smart football with confidence, and this defense not making a mistake by being overly aggressive. No, good stuff, Kevin. We appreciate your time. Um, I know you're a very busy man, so... Again, thanks for doing this. Glad to have a uh, a Pennsylvania guy, a Philly guy, so to speak, on our podcast, especially one of your stature. Uh, enjoy the game when you get out there. Hopefully you can make kickoff and uh, fly, Eagles, fly. John, Joe, thank you so much. Fly, Eagles, fly. Go Birds. All right, thanks, Kevin. That's Kevin Agandhi from ESPN. Kind enough to join us here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. You can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can check us out on Twitter at Podcast. Really good stuff from him, Johnny Mater. What'd you think? It's awesome to hear that there's somebody that's in the national media that has the back of the Philadelphia fan base, and he he just did such a great job of you know just throwing it all out there with you know what people think of the fan base and defending them and just and just making some solid points. Like, listen, this stuff happens everywhere. Like, why? And just the other thing that I truly loved about it is just. His experience at Sports Center. I don't know about you, Joe. I've, I've been watching Sports Center since I don't know. I've been five years old. Yeah. I, you know, it was actually you know ESPN was essentially born the year that I was born, 1979. So like it just it was just awesome to hear that back those background stories. So I, I loved it. Great interview. And uh, by the way, I just came back. Uh, we just came back from break with a little Eagles life in the fast lane. Huh? Did you catch that one? Yeah. Yeah. I Feel me. Feel me. I'm feeling you. I'm feeling you, bro. All right, let's uh, let's wrap things up here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. We got to get to the brass tacks. We got to get to this football game. It's kind of a big one. All right, John Mita, how do you see the the Super Bowl playing out? Final score, any way you want to slice it and dice it. Then uh, I'll give my take, and we'll we'll go. Uh, we'll need your MVP prediction and your people's champion as well. So kind of the folk hero, the the guy that might not be the MVP, but the one that getting free drinks in Philly for the rest of his life. So how this game plays out, final score if you got it, MVP and, and kind of an unsung hero. So basically, you know, this is the ultimate chess match. Belichick, Tom Brady versus Peterson's upstaff group of coaching staff, Jim Schwartz, Frank Wright. This is going to be an amazing test, but it's a cliche term, and I'm riding with it, and you know how much I love the defensive side of the ball. The defense needs to play lights out, and I think they're very capable of it. They've given up 17 points in two games in the playoffs. 
and it's going to take that type of Herculean effort to throttle the evil empire. I think it's going to be very important for the Eagles to mix up their defense, especially when it gets down late in the play clock. They need to show some things that they've never showed on tape before. Hopefully, the Patriots won't be taping them, and they won't know what we're about to bring <laughs> yeah. to the table. But I think that's going to be very important. And the other thing is, Nick Foles, you got to get them comfortable early. The offensive line's got to do a great job. The Patriots are very susceptible to the run. So why not use the horses that we have in our backfield? J.A.J.I., Garrett Blunt, Corey Clement. Let's just use and, – and, and here's the other thing. Let's not change who we are, okay? We've done it for so many games this season. We've got the formula. Doug's figured it out. His play calling against Minnesota was incredible. He did what we were all calling for. You know, find the plays that Nick Foles feels very comfortable running and go with that and stick to that. And one of the best defenses in the league, the Minnesota Vikings had no answer for that. If you can keep Foles comfortable, if the defense can get home, and that's going to be important on the D-line, those boys need to get home. I'm talking about Fletcher Cox, Tim Jernigan, Brandon Graham, Vinny Curry, Bo Allen, Chris Long, everyone involved on that side. They've got to get home. Because when you try to blitz Tom Brady, that could be a problem because he's always going to find that matchup. And the other matchup I look over on the defensive side of the ball is Gronkowski. How are they going to – because he's definitely playing. You know, there's no way that guy's going to miss this football game. You know, he'd have to get concussed, you know, five weeks in a row for him to miss a game. But so I think that's going to be important. And I just – I think the Super Bowl MVP – it's going to go to a defensive player, and I think it's it's going to go to Fletcher Cox. And I see him having three sacks in this game, and he's going to force one fumble. Wow. Which is obviously going to be recovered by the Eagles. So I'm going Fletcher Cox, Super Bowl MVP. The unsung hero, man, this is this is a tough one, man. It, it, it might be Corey Clement. That guy, you said it before, Joe, in a couple weeks. He always seems to make a big play. This kid is a rookie. But between that catch that he made in the Redskins game when Al Carson went down him in the corner of the end zone, I'll never know. Last week against Anthony Barr, he gave him the stiff arm spin move right out of Madden. It was an incredible play for a first down. I think he could be an unsung hero in this game. You know, my prediction is the evil empire, the Patriots are going down. They're going down 34-17. to 17. That's right. Tom Brady doesn't put up more than 20 points against this defense. And this defense is going to show the world, show the world this Sunday night, why they're the best defense in the damn league. And talk about it, and, and like B-Doc says, okay, let's get some doggone respect for this defense. And that's how it's playing out. Damn. I love it. I love it. All right, here's my take. Run the ball, right? No brainer. Because when you keep Tom Brady on the sidelines for long stretches, he loses rhythm. It's not rocket science. You look at the Super Bowls that the Pats lost to the Giants. They were able to pressure him like you talked about, but they kept him on the sideline for long stretches. In fact, that one game, I believe he sat like 45 minutes from the time they took the field for uh, pregame ceremony and the coin toss to actually stepping onto the field because of, of all the hoopla that goes with the Super Bowl. Then the Giants had a long drive. So you need to keep Tom Brady on the sideline. The other thing, keep the Pats in front of you. Hold them to three. Bend but don't break. Nothing behind you defensively. I see this game similar to the way when the Eagles have played the Giants at times and Eli Manning has had some success with the dink and dunk, the quick throws. I don't think the Patriots are going to try and run the ball. I think when you talk about what makes the Patriots great, 
It's their coaching. It's their ability to take what is given to exploit the team's weakness. Everybody knows you don't run the ball in the Eagles, so I don't see the Pats coming out and trying to establish the run. I think you're going to see the slants, Gronkowski. I think you're going to see that type of game, and it was interesting that Kevin Nagandi, when we had him on, brought up Eli Manning and how he has had success against the Eagles on those slow-go routes, those kind of fake short, go-deep type plays. I just think if you're the Eagles' defense, you've got to keep them in front of you. You've got to be ready for the Pats to come out and chuck it all over the yard. I wouldn't be surprised if Brady throws the ball 50 times in the Super Bowl on Sunday. The Pats might get some early, right? They might have some success. They've been here before. They might jump out to a lead. You talked about the Eagles playing their game, staying with it. They've got. I agree with that 110%. The Eagles just have to stay with it. Make this thing a four-quarter fight. And because of their it factor, their, their chemistry, their brotherhood, I think they've got a chance to do something special and win this football game. As the days have moved on, I don't want to say I'm less confident, I'm a little bit more scared than I might have been just because you start seeing all this Brady, Belichick, and all these numbers, and you're like, man, it's not going to be easy. There's not a second of this football game that I'm expecting it to be an easy moment from an Eagles fan perspective because we just saw last year, 28-3, to the Falcons had the lead with like, I don't know, a quarter and a half to go, and they lost. So no lead is safe against this Patriots team. But pressure the hell out of Brady. You talked about the front four, that defensive line, earn your paycheck, Run the ball. Keep Brady on the sidelines when you can. Keep him in front of you. Totally agree with getting Nick Foles in a rhythm early. And then just stay with it if things aren't going well in the early going. My final score prediction. Philadelphia Eagles 30. New England Patriots 23. MVP. It's got to be Nick Foles. I mean, if he plays well, they have a chance to win this game. If he doesn't play well, I don't know how they win the game. So he's got to be the MVP if the Eagles hoist the Lombardi Trophy. And I said it last week because I didn't want to forget, but I haven't forgotten, so I'll repeat it. Nelson Aguilar is my sneaky prediction for your unsung hero, the people's champion. Think about all he went through last year. Think about how I ripped him, you ripped him. People that actually have real radio shows ripped him. People were ready to boot him out of town, drive him to the airport, and he has responded. He has responded with a breakout season and in a controlled environment, a dome stadium, where there's no other, you know, there's no issue, there's no reason he can't step up. He will have a big game. He will make some big plays. He will find the end zone Sunday. Nelson Aguilar not going to be the game's MVP, maybe, but he will certainly be a storyline at the end of the day as far as Philadelphia sports lore goes. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to get it done, John Mita. I can't wait for you to experience it. I just, there's no other outcome that I will accept from this game. You know, I don't think they're going to be denied, but it's going to be very important for them to keep their foot on the pedal throughout the game because we've seen it in many Super Bowls. Tom Brady is never out of it, and you don't want it to come down to him getting the ball back with, you know, two minutes to go in the game because that's just not a recipe that I want to embark on. So yeah. I think that's, that's going to be crucial, and I think Peterson's been aggressive all year, and let's just keep this train rolling and – Big shout-out. It would have been my dad's birthday today. Happy birthday to Big Jack for uh, bringing me into this world. And uh, I know he's looking down upon us on all the great things we're doing here. So had to get that in there for my little spread of love. Well said, brother. Well said. I think, you know, just back to the game one quick second. I, You know, Chris Long's going to want this one bad. LeGarrette Blunt is going to want this one real bad. See what type of impact they have in this game if given a lot of opportunity, a lot of snaps. 
can they be the difference against their former team? I think the Eagles may have a little bit of an advantage there. I don't know how the crowd's going to be. I imagine it's going to be pro-Patriots. I don't think at the end of the day it's going to be a huge factor. The Eagles just have to stay with it, man. They have proven that they have the ability to win tight games, to win blowout games, to push back when they face adversity. This is a team that's always been next man up. They've always fought for each other. I don't expect anything different on Sunday. I don't think they're going to flop. I think they're going to come out. They're going to play their game. And after 60 minutes, we'll see where the, where the, uh, where the cards fall. This is a team that has proven they are destined for greatness. They have four more quarters to do it. Four more quarters of Nick Foles, great football. Four more quarters of the defense bearing down. And you see where it is at the end of the day. But I think the Eagles, I just can't wait, man. I can't wait because I just have a great feeling about this team. I've had it for weeks, really all season. They have proven to be a different bunch of birds, no pun intended. And let's just see if they can finish it off, man. One more win. You got it, buddy. Well said. All right, what else you got for me? Anything? That's it, man. Let's just get it done, Philadelphia. All the people that are going out to Minneapolis, let's represent what it, what it is to be an Eagles fan and what it is to love our city of Philadelphia. And, you know, with that strength, you know, let's bring this home because there is no other city in America that deserves the Super Bowl other than the Philadelphia Eagles. And if the Eagles were to win the Super Bowl, that would be the only, the NFC East would be the only division in football that's had a Super Bowl winner. Just kind of crazy. Johnny made his safe travels. Enjoy the time in the Twin Cities, my friend. You got it. We'll make sure your card returns in one piece, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> if they win, I don't care. Go birds, fly eagles, fly. This has been the Brotherly Love Podcast. We'll catch you after the Super Bowl. Hopefully, we're talking parade and championships, baby. Champagne, champagne. For Johnny Mead, I'm Joe O'Donnell. Our thanks to Kevin Agandi of ESPN. Until next time, we'll see you.